Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire. Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Welcome, everyone, to Star Trek from the Holodeck. This is the Discovery Edition, and I'm your host, Michael Flores. If you're new to this podcast, you can find all of our discussions on iTunes as well as Spotify, pretty much wherever you listen to podcasts. But those are our two preferred places because you can leave us reviews and rate the podcast, which triggers algorithms that then help others find our show. So we definitely advocate that you head over to those two spots. We do cover a wide variety of Star Trek content, so if you are new and that's a question you have, don't fret. You can scroll through that feed and find whatever topic you want to listen to us discuss. Hello, David. How are you? How's it going, everybody? And here we are. Yeah. (laughs) Season finale of Star Trek Discovery. Did they stick the landing light? Did they? You know what, Dave? Way to ask the hard-hitting questions at the very beginning. But I'm not going to answer that because I'm going to do what the news does. And just, we're going to we're gonna preview that. Preview it. Yeah. And now they're going to have to wait until the very end until I actually give you that answer. <laughs> okay. So I will say, I will say that we made it to the end pretty much unscathed. Overall, I would consider... The season is success. Now, that's still not answering your question, Dave, mind you. But I do feel like overall, this season is definitely a success. There are some highs and some lows, mostly highs. I'd say there was some genius and well-thought-out writing this season. Uh, There was a clear focus and intent to move the world of Trek forward while also continuing to restructure the cosmology of the Trek universe in the 32nd century, which is a huge plus. There was a careful attention to detail as it pertains to varying degrees of progressive Trek ideologies. The season benefited from the serial hybrid formula that we had talked about early on, which made room for one-off style episodes that had its own narrative closure while also pushing the season myth arc forward which was also welcomed by many Star Trek fans, not just ourselves. There were many people, including various industry trades, that were applauding the writers this year, basically saying thank you for giving us classic Trek episodes. And I feel like the, the, the plan or the strategy to go in that direction, to give us that serial hybrid formula, I feel like at the end of the day, it did work for season four. Yes, I, I 100% agree with you there. I mean, like... The the strength I would right now go down saying 
That, oh, you're going to go down. Is it that type of party? That, it's that type of party, especially with Sonequa Martin Green. Oh, but <laughs> he is steamy this she, year. I know, dude. She's she's. What is she's it really this wanted, season? What is it? She's hot this year because she finally earned that captaincy. Is that what it is? We yeah. like we like women in power. We who like women it? in power now that that deserve it. Yeah, because like honestly, Burnham at this point this kept off the whole the the whole journey to Burnham becoming a captain. Yeah, and. And it's justified and it's well earned at this point because there were so many times in the episode where I could see uh, discovery haters waiting, waiting on pins and needles for Burnham to, you know, prove everyone again that basically she doesn't belong in that captaincy. But instead she turns it around and basically you end up seeing her making those tough decisions you'd expect a true Starfleet officer slash captain would make. Yeah. And that's what I really took apart from from this entire season was this was Burnham eating, earning that captain's chair so that she can be considered one of the, you know, the captains, captains. Yeah. one of the captains. No, I would agree with that. And they did set that groundwork from the very beginning with her discussion with the with the president. Yeah. And, and her- the way they bookended that discussion with how they chose to have a similar discussion and the president telling Burnham, Hey, I feel at this point you've made a lot of progress and you are ready to be that captain. Yeah. And, and honestly, at this point, we now know how, what type of captain Burnham is. Burnham is the diplomatic captain. She is not the one to go in guns a blazing and shoot first and ask questions later. Well, no. first, first season, she definitely was. I mean, she, she started a Klingon war. And if you think about it, that's the one that basically everyone hated. That's why we hated Burnham. And even though, Dave, because you are 100% correct, and I feel like when you look at season one now, and you see where we are now moving into season five, I like the growth. Because I like the growth. you can almost frame seasons one through four as, I don't want to say a penance, but almost having Burnham jump through hoops to prove that she is not, not repentant because that's ridiculous, but to prove that she learned her lesson from the first season mistakes. It's her maturity. Yes. It's her maturity. Yeah. Because like she's gone from this person that basically thinks she's the smartest person in the room mm-hmm. and arrogant to someone who basically will take a step back and actually I don't know, do the Federation thing and become a diplomat. (laughs) Right. And, you know, do the thing that say like a captain, like Jean-Luc Picard is more attuned to where he's the diplomat. They go and, you know, they don't go in guns a blazing and, you know, set phasers to evaporate. What about Podunk uh, Archer? Archer, there's an innocence. (laughs) There's an innocence to his captainship. Podunk. Innocence, Brett. Fresh off the uh, bus stop, looking to be a star in Hollywood because someone told him he's going to be a star. He's going to be a star. Next thing you know, he finds himself half naked in front of a camera. (laughs) (laughs) And bent over. Oh, wow. It was implied, David. It was implied. (laughs) But that's the thing that I really took away from, like, this entire season was from start to finish – they stuck to the theme of Burnham's growth and made it that thorough narrative. And to this point, season four is probably the best technically written season of discovery ever. Without a doubt, Dave, 
will also say that this season has proven, and this is something we touched on last episode. I will say that this season has proven its intellectual prowess, its analytical approach to problem solving in the context of its story. Discovery has an artistry to it that other Trek series due to the times, I want to say for some of them, we're not always able to achieve. Of course, this is made possible through the delicate construction of the mise-en-scene. You know, the stuff in the frame is never just there. It actually helps with emotional and narrative context. Yeah. And that's something that Discovery has done well since day one. So looking at this episode, the finale, in a less generalized sense, what does it do? That's the question I want to pose right now. Now, I will say it felt like a legitimate closer, meaning if I didn't know better, if I didn't know that the show was returning for a fifth season, I'd assume it was over. There aren't really any loose ends. And the ones that are there, like Saru's captaincy, Tilly as a Starfleet Academy instructor, there's, their end could be assumed. Assumption brings resolve to those types of aspects. Yes. But as a whole, it felt very conclusive. Yes. Did it not? Yeah, because like the... Because of like what I said, the whole season was wrapped around the idea of Burnham's earning Burnham earning that captain's chair. You end it with her earning the captain's chair, and then pretty much there's nothing else. What else do you What else do you need? Yeah, you know you have the relationship with Book and everything for Burnham, but that can be assumed. You know that that in itself is basically we know that that could continue on because. You know, book is book is paying his own penance. If we were to never come back for a season five, which I'm sure there are Star Trek fans out there that would hope they wouldn't or that hope that they don't. But we know they are. They have been picked up for a fifth season. But let's say they didn't. I feel like season four is adequate. Yeah, it does feel like a legitimate ending the way they wrapped everything up. That's why. Where do you go from here? Especially with, you know, like. Originally, we uh, I was like thinking, well, maybe 10C can be this overall threat, like the Borg or um, the Zindi or even, you know, like... An overarching threat. An overarching yeah. threat. But in actuality, they, the one thing that I've noticed with this writing staff for Discovery this entire season, they have a way of quashing everything really quickly. Like, and that, and that could be a negative and that could be a positive. But they do it more this season positively, where you're not left with these hanging loop, uh, you know, uh, these hanging like narrative, narrative threads. Narrative strands, yeah. Yeah, where it's basically an annoying narrative strand that, oh, well, that thing's still out well, there. And that's why I agree with you when you said that season four Discovery is probably the best, at least, and, and I do agree with you in the terms of the mechanics. The mechanics. When it, when it comes down straight to just writing. It is very tight. It is the best writing they have had. Now, personally, my own opinion, like meaning if I were to say my favorite season, my favorite season is still season two. Oh, by far. By far. I think uh, my 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 favorite season for Discovery is season two by far. But that would be subjectively speaking because it had all the things that I love about Star Trek in it, except maybe some of the more philosophical. But it ha you had Pike, you had the Enterprise, you had Spock. So from a subjective end... And the way they tie those stories together with the Discovery crew, 
it was more my thing that I that I like. However, season four, objectively speaking, is without a doubt the best of the four seasons. Well, it's also season four for Discovery makes it the best too, because to me, Discovery finally has its voice. I finally understand what type of Star Trek show we're getting with Discovery. You know, say for example, with Deep Space Nine, I knew we were going to be getting a war slash noir series, right? Cold War a little Cold bit too. Cold War yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Enterprise was supposed to be a brand new take on, you know, TOS. It was literally the embodiment of optimism. Optimism, right? Yeah. And here with Discovery, it's more about, and I'm going to say the, the P word that basically makes people twinge, but Let's this see. is a positive. <laughs> uh, well, that, well, yeah. But no, but like progressive. Mm -hmm. The show has a, a feel of progressiveness where they basically say, we want to do things that, you know, may not have been seen in past Star Trek because of say political. So politically speaking, you feel like that's one signature. That's what it is. It, yeah. I mean, if you look at it, I mean, compared to all the other, other series, Mike, this season, when you compare this season to of discovery and now seeing what type of show it is, it stands out compared to series like Voyager Deep Space Nine. I feel like the reason why, and I do agree with you when it comes to that, um, and it's because there's something to be said about the subtleties. And with Voyager and Next Generation at Deep Space Nine, there's also, it's very liberal and very progressive, but it's more within the subtext. Yes. It's the messaging is there, the ideology is there, but you have to sort through and, um, and seek it out to actually fully see it, which is how, in my opinion, television and movies should be written. Should be written. Um, Discovery is a little fast and loose, but I don't blame that on Discovery necessarily, and I don't necessarily look at it as a fault because it, it is a TV and movie trend right now where a lot of people feel like, well, why do I need to be subtle with an important message? That's bullshit. I'm not going to be subtle. We were subtle in the 90s and the early 2000s because we weren't accepted and we had to hide it. I'm like, well, that's one way of looking at it, or... There is an art to subtlety. There's That's an another way subtlety. of looking at it. So I would agree with you, but at the same time, I also don't think of it as a negative necessarily because it is a trend right now in a lot of television. And it's not just a trend. It's a mindset and an ideology of the writers and directors themselves yeah. saying that we have something to say and we're going to say it. And if you don't like it, yeah. And, oh, and, well. And that's the thing is like early on when you look at the writing, the writing in Discovery was treated like a sledgehammer. We're gonna we're going to bash you in the face with it, right? There were moments, yeah, earlier on. Yeah. yeah, but now when you look at season four, it's more tight, it's more concise. It's less about. It's not that the 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 message is lost in the narrative. The narrative and the and the message go hand in hand. Exactly, now. and also they, it doesn't feel like they need to prove anything. Like, exactly, I feel like they were trying to prove something that they didn't really need to prove, and now they have found comfort. And this in this with this writing room, because now we've had Michelle Paradise for almost two full years now. So that's a big thing. And and that's something I want to talk about briefly as well. When it comes to Michelle Paradise, she's the one who wrote this episode. And she is, of course, the current showrunner. And the episode itself was a pleasure to view. It did a great it did great as. I want to say Michelle Paradise did a great. 
I lost my train of thought, Dave. What was I saying? <laughs> you were talking about how Michelle Paradise. Yes. Okay. Michelle Paradise, as the showrunner, did a great job as oversight throughout the season. And also she wrote, in my opinion, an effective finale. There are some that feel like Discovery had yet another lackluster finale. And we'll get to that in a second. Many academics and amateur blogs seem to agree that seasons one, three, and four all suffer an anticlimactic finish. finish. And, and although yeah. I can see their point, I'm not sure I would agree with season four being anticlimactic. No, no. To me, this felt on par with the picture they've been painting all season. So the way it ended, it would have felt a little strange if it ended any other way because the very idea was about cultural context and finding that common ground. Mm -hmm. And if they didn't find that common ground, the way this episode was written, it would have felt very contradictory. And the thing is, is like also the a lot of the criticism that I see, especially with a lot of the reviews of this the, uh, this particular episode, everyone does not like that method of storytelling where basically, oh, we work things out through discussion and diplomacy and stuff like that. I'm gonna, uh, you know, I'm going to make a broad stroke, broad statement, and say that a majority of the audience is not built for that. It, they're not. They they want and the understandably. I mean, I understand that they want the definitive. We're gonna go in. We're gonna blow shit up and <laughs> save the day. Yeah, and they that's how the mass audience is wired because it's the. And I have no qualms saying this, Mike, unlike oh, you. Here is, we go. It's the simple way of thinking. Yeah. And it is. It's, I, <laughs> it is. I would say it's the mainstream way of thinking. Yeah. It's just how people are wired and the way they, or I should say the reasons why they choose to watch certain content. But I also want to say that I don't think Star Trek fans look for that. I think hardcore Star Trek fans who understand who, what Star Trek is through and through, I don't feel like they're looking for that. I don't think they're looking for that edgy, you know, shoot them up, bang, bang. Now, the mainstream that also watches Star Trek, who may not fully understand the nuances of Trek, then yes, I would agree with you and say that they are the ones who may look at it unfavorably and think, well, come on, enough of, enough of this talk, talk and crying and yeah, and <laughs> diplomacy. Crying. Let's let's see some shoot them up, bang, bang. So I, I'm not going to call shenanigans on that, David, fully. So I guess that being said, I feel like the series does, and this is a little bit, I don't want to say negative. It's just, it's purely critical from an academic side. I feel like the series needs a driving element and this season could have been the start of that. Yeah, I do too. And what I mean by that driving element, in my humble opinion, it seems like discovery needs to introduce an element that allows a feeling of continuance. The reason why season two felt so good going into season three, because you had closure to that immediate season, but there was the excitement of continuance. There was the possibility of what could happen. And it gave us that thing to look forward to and also had a little bit of dread and suspense wired in as well, because we weren't sure what the future would look like. Tension. Yes. And that's something that Discovery isn't really doing from season to season. Uh, something that we can pinpoint and say that's overarching, uh, for example, like in the way of thematics uh, of Discovery, 
or the narrative ingredients, the stuff that keeps all the series glued together. I mean, these are the feelings. These are the things that we need for the continuance. And personally, I feel like the show would benefit from what the latter seasons, uh, for example, of TNG, Deep Space Nine and Voyager did. Uh, They they bring a level of closure every season, but keep the wheel of possibilities spinning in the background leaving something, you know, a a residual element that serves as a warning that could be used to craft a larger story that is told through numerous seasons. And unfortunately, Discovery hasn't done that. And ultimately, ultimately, I feel like it will affect the series as a whole. Um, Deep Space Nine had, as you mentioned, that overarching threat for numerous seasons that kept the show connected and a feeling of continuance yeah. and it propelled season after season, even though each season brought a level of closure, like you should at the end of a season, there was a legitimate finale. There was buildup and then boom, the possibilities for next year, what's exactly. going to happen. And I feel like discovery is not doing themselves any favors by always closing things out. So definitively now I'm I'm not contradicting what I said earlier about the show bringing closure and it feeling well written because of that closure. I academically, the series is written just fine and the finale is just fine, but just as a Star Trek fan and looking at it from a more, um, in the future aspect, longevity, I should say of discovery, where is it going? Like exactly. What's keeping us wanting to tune in, tune in year after year? Because uh, where does where does the Discovery crew go to the at this point? And if you're always resetting the board every season, and you only have ten or twelve episodes to do your story, it just starts to feel very small. Yeah, and if you think about it, it's kind of like when you think about the entire season as a as a whole. I think you can look at it very favorably, very positively. But I'm glad you brought up those those points because if there is one negative of the se- season for me is the fact that I look at the season as a whole and I basically go, all right, it was a great season, great narrative. What's next? You know, you, every time, every single episode, you answered. You, there was a point when you could have left a little give to say, oh, hey, that character might come back or that character might come back or this species might show up. I feel like they worked so hard, David, this season. They worked so hard, which, hey, maybe this is a great work ethic, to only end it. Yeah. They worked so hard to build up this threat, the 10C. They worked so hard to create this idea of the unknown, to boldly go again, because they crossed the Great Barrier. Yes. To only end it. That, to me, feels like it's unfair to the writers and the show. Why did they close it out so definitively? And sure, they can go right back to the Great Barrier next season, but the threat of 10C was already there. And I don't feel like they should have dealt with the 10C so quickly. And and it makes me think, this is just my own opinion when you yes this is sheerly subjective this is just subjective right now when you look at the all the four seasons of discovery i see a pattern that from from the third season where basically they they were yelled at for the for the way that the third season was written and handled and then they went to the season four and say okay we're going to take everyone's criticism and everyone's uh critique and 
everything that was wrong with season three and go the opposite direction a hundred percent. And instead of, you know, like having loose threads open, doing, you know, the whole very middle where you have that epic moment, like the guardians of forever moment and the, the, the possibilities of Michelle Yeoh going into, <laughs> into the past mm -hmm. and then where does she go and everything else instead of doing that stuff, Let's just listen to everyone's criticism and just do one solid story. Do not do any mistakes we did in season three. And it feels like that's what they did. They, they basically said they didn't want to take a risk. They didn't want to take a gamble like what they did in season three. Instead, they want oh, is that to play a, it Are you saying that's a negative or a positive? I'm not quite that's sure the, what you're saying. That's the tough part because I was, I, I was telling you like – You're uh, trying to talk it out right now? Yeah, I'm trying yeah. to talk it out because it took me three viewings for this episode because there was something gnawing at me. The first two video, uh, uh, the first two viewings of the season finale, I'm like going, there's something bugging me. Because, you know, just like what you said earlier, academically and to the point, this episode was good. It was written well. I think what it comes down to, Dave, it's very simple, and we and we just touched on it. I feel like you're struggling with the same thing that I'm struggling with when it comes to our subjective opinions about the 10C element being wrapped up so neatly. Yeah. Because you take a complicated idea and to just bring so much... And this is why I'm conflicted because I admire how they took a conflicted, such a complicated idea and brought it to a definitive end, end so well. They actually did a very good job bringing it to completion. I didn't feel like I needed anything more, but <laughs> subjectively, I wanted more. You wanted more. I wanted more about the 10C as, as solely as a Star Trek fan. I felt like we needed more, that they worked so hard for that. And let's just dig into the episode itself a little deeper now. Uh, the way the 10C was handled well, overall was just fine. When, yeah, when looking it at fine. it from a single season perspective. It was much better handled than the burn. Oh, without a doubt. There's was, not, David, there's not even a comparison, no, David. And, and that's what I mean is like when you compare it, it seems like they took the mistakes of the burn and basically said, okay, we're not going to make those same mistakes. Yeah. That we did with 10C. So we're going to play it instead of taking a risk and a gamble. Because when you look at like how they handled the burn, that was a risky and, you know, hand wavy way of dealing with that type of story that they tried to tell with the burn. And instead they said, okay, with the 10C, let's keep it simple, tight, and efficient. Don't, don't do anything fancy. And it, it's almost like, I, I hate being that person that says, well, you should have done this. You should have given me more. Give me more. Take a gamble. Take a risk. It's okay. <laughs> I think what you're saying is fair. It's, we're conflicted. We're not saying yeah. it's bad. We just, our, our fan side is conflicting a bit with the critical analysis side. Yeah. And I think that that. And that's going to happen. When you bring up, when you bring up the whole idea of this feeling of like, there's no there's no tension. There's no, you know, conflict or anything or any hype you feel, buzz you feel at the end of this. It's, it, it feels like now that I'm thinking of it, it feels like I'm back in script writing class and my teacher's looking at me, looking at me saying, David, take a risk. Yeah. Don't play it safe. And you know what? That's a great point. And I think ultimately that might be the problem I have 
um, not just subjectively, but as a critic as well. Yeah. There is no repercussions. There's no repercussions. And I think that's the only negative, objectively speaking, is that there are no repercussions. Everyone lived. No one paid the cost except Tarka. But Tarka was actually made into the villain in the end. And in in very stereotypical fashion, the villain has to die. Yeah. And Book is doing chores. He's cleaning. (laughs) He he is responsible for nearly trying to annihilate an entire species. And they simply give him cleanup duty. Yeah. He's he's going to play community service. Yeah. I think that's a little weak. (laughs) I I, I, I think that's a little weak. And I also feel like the way he was not killed was also weak why play with something that was so easily like we all saw that from a mile away he's not dead okay and yet i was hoping he was because it felt so weak yeah and then they bring him back in tennessee we didn't know what was happening but we decided oh once we figured it out we're going to um make sure and intercept the transport and save him like what yeah, it doesn't. I, mean, and and the thing was, the only reason why I was semi okay with book coming back was because book played an intricate role in explaining why he uh-huh. why he would he did what he did to Tennessee. The the ending when he connected with them telepathically. When he connected with them telepathically. That was powerful. That was powerful doubt. because like. You also have to throw in the whole se- se- throughout the entire series. We've been seeing this one character being tortured with the fact that his home is gone. Then they shouldn't have had a scene that didn't fool any of us. Yes. And not have him killed. And it probably killed. wouldn't have rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah. I feel like them trying to trick us and it just felt. A lot. Because if they didn't do that, I, I, that's and that's the tough part about that ending is because. To me, book is so needed in the very end because if they just left it where Burnham and the diplomats verbally explained to 10C, this is what's been going on and this is what your effect on our environment is doing. And it would seem so haphazard. Instead, I think narratively the smart choice was book showing them, especially since the 10C is so empathic and that they, they, they communicate through emotions and pheromones him connecting telepathically with them to show him, show them his grief and sadness of losing his home planet. And then Tennessee basically going, okay, yeah, we're, we are so sorry. It made sense to me. Yeah. That was all good. I didn't have a problem with that. I just, I think the show and I know we're dealing with star Trek. So there is a thin line here. You know, do you want to be, depressing or do you want to have (laughs) optimism at the end and i feel like there's ways to do both but they have to be careful they gotta be careful you know with going the sad route but i feel like at the end of the day when you're dealing with a series like or a season like this there needed to be some type of consequence yeah not community i just don't feel like there was any consequences at the end and it was kind of this is kind of a similar problem that i had with last season there was no consequences. No consequences. Tilly lost the starship. No one ever even said anything to her. They dealt with that a little bit this year and how she kind of changed her, not her goals, but the way she looked at things. She didn't feel the need to prove herself anymore. So therefore the idea of being captain was negated. And no but, one brings up the fact that basically our, our, our favorite character, Sue Call, 
basically caused the destruction of an entire galaxy. And that takes me to Saru. There, there just ultimately there wasn't, and Burnham as well. There, the, the fact that he decided to walk away from the Starfleet for a while, and then Burnham became captain in season three. There was no repercussions for anybody's actions outside yeah. of the immediate episode. And now here we are again, not really dealing with those repercussions. And the reason why I, I bring this up, the idea of repercussions, because when you look at shows like Deep Space Nine and Voyager and even the TNG movies, there was always the original series movies as well. There was always that there were always repercussions to the actions of our captains yeah. and our crew whether we wanted it to happen or not, there were repercussions. There were lessons to be learned. There were um, scars to be gained. Yes. And I feel like with Discovery, they're not really willing to go the distance with these repercussions. It's like, yeah. it's like all of them have plot armor. And as long as they see the error in their ways, then no harm, no foul. All is forgiven. And even though you can say there were possibly repercussions for Book emotionally and psychologically, but what lesson did he learn? What lesson did he learn? Like, what <laughs> exactly. lesson did he learn not to trust Tarka? Yeah, and that's the thing. He learned to temper his emotions. I, I, did we see that? We didn't see that. It, did we? Did he? Did did he actually learn that? No. Like we don't know because they didn't show that part. And I think at the end of the day, that is my single biggest problem with the season finale is I don't feel like there was enough repercussions for the actions of some of our crew. Yeah. And that's the thing is kind of like you want your characters to have their scars because that's what creates character development that, that, that makes them mature. How was Burnham not feeling any sense of betrayal that her, the person she loved betrayed her made her look bad amongst her superiors. And there's not even like, and listen, I'm also, I know it sounds like I'm advocating for the melodrama now. <laughs> it kind of does. <laughs> and I'm not, but I'm saying this is all part of the same argument, repercussions. There needed to be something just to make the finale that much better. And I'm hoping that this is something they end up doing. Let there be true, let there be true repercussions. Okay, so the ultimate message, let's switch gears here. The ultimate message behind Species 10C was more than simply the idea of cultural context, as we had been discussing over the course of, I don't know what, the past three or four episodes, which was a point they made in the previous episodes. But there was also an ecological message as well. No, you think? <laughs> the statement when that 10C made, we did not know you were higher life forms is very telling. Yeah. And some might not be aware that there is larger awareness within the last decade or so when it comes to certain creatures slash life forms that we share our planet with. And that's why this message was very powerful. If you know the context of the times that we're in philosophically when it comes to the way we view humans versus our animal neighbors okay yes. for example there are certain things we can no longer ignore when it comes to sentience and the feeling of emotions particularly pain for example there has been recent studies on elephants which is a big one we for years have kind of looked the other way as they're being slaughtered and taken advantage of to this day being killed for their tusk by people in 
China. Yes. For their medicines. And the reason why we've never really gotten so up in arms about this is because we we just figured out they're animals. And sure, we've evolved over the last 30 years and we've had make we've made strides to change that. But there there's now studies being done on elephants and the fact that they have gone from being relatively peaceful animals to being very aggressive, specifically the males. And scientists have attributed that behavior to their awareness of their mistreatment. Of their mistreatment, yes. And then they now know that they actually mourn the dead. They care for the dead. They revisit the dead in elephant graveyards. Mm-hmm. The whale that recently killed itself in his aquarium. If you yeah. remember that horrifying video that oh, I wish oh I God. never watched. Yeah. Okay, we are now aware that whales loathe captivity. Yep. So much so that they are willingly killing themselves in order to put an end to it. Yeah. Birds. There's a whole study on parakeets that they are more self-aware and conscious than we had thought. There's countless studies done on canines, dogs, new ways to measure their ability to love their human counterparts as Mm -hmm. well as other emotions. For example, there was recently studies done on the pheromones from dogs and how when they look at you, it is the exact same pheromones, the dog version, that's released when a mother and an infant share time together. Yep. So we are now forced to reevaluate the way we view these animals lost my mic (laughs) these animals that we were not aware were possibly higher life forms than we have previously thought so there's the ecological message and the reason why i bring this up is because a lot of this is in the news now if you google these things these things are going to be popping up because there are so many studies being done and a lot of people don't want to read these studies because it makes us disturbed Yes. Because of the way we have treated our neighbors. And that's why I don't even like calling them animals. And this isn't me being a liberal douche. (laughs) They're individual creatures that share a planet with us. And that's why I love the message that 10C ultimately was. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the idea that we are not aware that these little things floating by us are just as intelligent, just Different. Just different. They experience things differently, but it doesn't mean they are not aware. Because it makes us, it makes humans out there uncomfortable thinking that they, oh my God, I'm hurting something. Right. Right. And honestly, yes, it is a disturbing, it is a disturbing message and stuff like that. But the thing is, what's worse? Ignorance? You know, the whole, the, the whole idea, ignorance is bliss. Yeah. Or... Do you come to understand? Understand. Right. That's the whole point. It's not about basically, you know, just like what you're saying, it's not talking as a liberal person. It's basically just having the evolutionary thought to actually come to an understanding. Hey, this is why this this creature thinks this way. Yeah. I shouldn't treat them that The badly. human capacity to understand exactly. that we may not fully grasp how our world fully works and our willingness to accept that we might need to make some changes. Might make some changes. That's why I liked what they did with 10C. Yeah. So the parallels are, are fairly easy to interpret 
um, or C, when you are aware of what's going on from from that front, it's actually a big deal in both the sciences and the philosophy circles currently, with some advocating for personhood for some of these creatures. And what that means is they would get rights. Even There's even talks because I actually know from a couple of my friends who are big in the animal uh, in, in that genre. Am, animal rights. Animal rights and yeah. stuff. There's even talks of horses. Horses are, are highly intelligent. And it's... It, very it, social creatures. It's too. a very, they're very social creatures. And there's a movement where people want to give those horses rights because in other places they're treated like cattle and they're treated for their meat. <laughs> and, and that horrifies the people. Yeah. And listen, this isn't an indictment on people or, or anyone. So don't feel no. like you're being attacked. It's just a, 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 an interesting idea that's presented so that we can reevaluate certain things and certain the, things and the way we live our lives. It, it's, it's good. That's how we grow exactly. as individuals is by reevaluating and taking a step back and being a bit introspective. So that's something that also makes ultimately for me, I, that makes season four of discovery so strong because there are so many moments like this throughout the season. I want to say this is one of the most philosophical seasons to date I want to say it might even be one of the more philosophical seasons out of all of Star Trek. Now, I'm not saying it's the best because there are episodes, individual episodes in TNG, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager that are some top-tier philosophical discourses. But as a complete season, I want to say this might be the best season in the way it's completely framed in the philosophical, if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah. All right, so get more from the Holodeck content by pledging to our Patreon page. Every single month, we do put out more content. And in order for us to continue to put out shows free of charge on this feed, this very show you're listening to right now is by going to our Patreon page. It's the only way we can continue. We need your support. So head over to patreon.com slash Digital and pledge. Three to five dollars and gain access to our behind the scenes tier as well as our podcast here, where you'll receive additional content, as well as past content, which is hundreds, if not thousands of hours of additional <laughs> Star Trek yep. content. Patreon.com slash Rain Man Digital. So last little bits here. We talked about the telepathic link that book had, correct? Yes. Okay, so Saru and Tarina. That's an interesting pair up. I'm not against it. <laughs> I'm not against it either. I think it's actually kind of cool. No, I do like it. It does give something different for Saru to deal with. Yes. It's also interesting to see him work through the ideas of relationships and emotions and how to balance that out. I feel like it was an interesting story and this personal story is far better than the one that they forced on him last season by far. <laughs> no, Mike, Mike, I, I mean, come on. No, come on. Don't you want to see Saru become a caretaker? David, if Sakul was the end all of all characters, if he was so cool 
guess what? He would have been in this season. <laughs> exactly. I'm telling you that they probably felt the hate of that character. And they're like, we better not. This is their Jar Jar Binks. That's their Jar Jar. Yeah. This is the oh, Star Trek. This is Star Trek's version of Jar Jar Binks. Because, and going to your point too, is like, this is more narratively appetizing. Yeah. You know, seeing Saru grow this way is much better than basically him becoming a caretaker for someone because it, it doesn't fit the mold that you gave Saru for the past three seasons here. It's more palatable because like he's a character that's basically trying to find his own way. Makes sense. And it makes sense that he would run into someone that he has a first relationship that is, you know, different than what he has with Burnham with yeah. Burnham. It's more like a sibling. Well, yeah. In order to learn about the characters, we need to dissect those layers. And this is yes. a completely different layer. One is a platonic relationship, and this is more of a romantic relationship. And through both of them, we learn about the character and you flesh out the needed aspects so that we do learn about this character and feel like he's evolved and mo and has been pushed forward a bit. Yeah. Every character needs to feel at the end, at least our main characters, they need to feel like something has happened to them. And I'll be honest. I mean, the, this season, that is the one thing this season has gotten right when it comes to certain narrative themes mm -hmm. that they've chosen. The way they've handled the couple writings, you know, like way the better. relationship. Way better. Way even better. With, even with Colbert and Stamets. Way better. A hundred times better. I, I can actually get behind that relationship now. Do you realize by the end of it, I understand now why Colbert loves Stamets. He's quirky. Well, that, that's going too far. <laughs> you just want Colbert to actually be, no, have higher standards. Listen, listen I'm, I'm, I want, uh, let's see here. If I had to ship someone, it would be Colbert and, um, who did I say before? Oh, book. Book. I was like, come on. Now that's a, that's a power couple right there. But like now I understand by the end of it, their relationship of Colbert and Stamets is much more palatable. It's not about them being a gay couple or right. same sex couple. It's them being in a relationship and just basically like. They're two people in love. Two people in love. And basically I love the fact that, hey, they just wanted to go on vacation in the end. And it's like, yeah, yeah, you guys deserve it. After everything that you guys have been through. You go on vacation. You think they're going to go to Riza 4? I mean, that's, that's a place that <laughs> I would live. All shore leave, I'd be on Riza. You'd be on Riza. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, all right, I got a little, well, a little. I got a, I got, I got a, <laughs> never mind. I thought, you know what? You were go. just walked right yeah, into that. I'm just going to change the subject on that. But even, even like, all, if you take a look at all the other couples too, it's, they actually, this season, they've wrote them to perfection to the point that in past seasons... Because they weren't the focus. They're not the focus. They were just a part of the characters, which is what they should be. We shouldn't... We don't need to make statements about relationships. Relationships. Just, we really um, don't. Yeah, we get it. Gay relationships are a thing, and they should be a thing, and they're no different than straight relationships. End of story. We don't need to continue to harp on the importance of same-sex relationships. We get it. Let's move on and focus on what really matters, which is the individuals and what they represent in each of their own subsequent stories. Okay, so David, let's talk. We only have about 12 minutes. So 
let's talk about the controversy because there was controversy. It has nothing to do <laughs> with how the show necessarily ended, but it has to do with who was included in the ending. And yes. that's yeah. And that's Stacey Abrams. Personally, I, I, I don't typically care to address. Let me, let me find the best way to. <laughs> I know this is a really dicey subject too. It, because- it is because first off, I just want to say I'm not into politician worship. I think it's theme here. It's not smart because they're people, they make mistakes. And when you choose to worship and idolize a politician, you're just setting yourself up for disappointment. Yeah. So typically I don't care to address current real world politics on this show unless it is an integral part to the academic breakdown of the episode. But this was a polarizing aspect of the episode due to uh, due to our ability in this country, or I should say, yes, due to our ability in climate. this country to turn everything into controversy. Well, no, it, 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 it goes down to the current climate right now. Let's face it. The current climate right now, the country, United States is divided. Did you say country? Country. I see what you did there. <laughs> this whole entire country. But the, the whole American culture right now is divided. It's divided into, unfortunately, liberals, and then you have conservatives. I would say it's separated between far left radical, far, far, that's far the left right. radical lunatics, and, and far, far right, right. <laughs> radical lunatics. And the the thing that I, uh, I here's the thing. It wasn't until I read about the background behind them doing this, it made sense because the actor who plays Colbert is really good friends with the former governor, um, Stacey Abrams. And Stacey Abrams is a very passionate Star Trek fan. She actually is. And she was, she was asked, do you want to play a character? Do you want this? And then they basically threw out there, hey, do you want to be the president of earth and Stacey Abrams as a Star Trek fan. If, if you were thrown a chance to actually be in Star Trek and, and they tell you it's going to be a one-off and you get to play a high ranking Starfleet officer, who's not going to take that. Now I agree. Uh, uh, after reading that, the backstory behind it, I completely understand why she's there. The only thing that I don't like is the fact that unfortunately it feels like they didn't read the room. Because by putting Stacey Abrams up there, essentially you're, you're, you're creating an elitist feel for everybody who's one side versus the other side. Everyone on the far left is like, yeah, all right, it's one of us. Everyone on the far right is like, what the hell? You mean to tell me you can't pull anyone from our side? And that's what I'm seeing. Yes. I they feel, didn't read the room. They feel like they are taking a side. Yeah, because they are bringing on someone who is very polarizing currently, who is from the left. Yes. And because of that, people who may identify as Republicans feel a little isolated and possibly, you know, feel slighted that their way of thinking is wrong. Is wrong. But I I want to say something. Now, first of all, this is not me defending their decision necessarily but it's me saying who gives a shit really because okay so you're getting upset at this person let's forget the fact that we're dealing with a highly polarized issue right now okay in georgia correct yes yes okay first off 
in the grand scheme of things, who gives a shit? She's a former House representative running for governor in a state in the United States. If there was a politician in a province in Australia, would we give a fuck? Exactly. We wouldn't. So the rest of the world doesn't give two shits about Stacey Abrams. Now, there were people saying that it is unethical to have someone who's currently running for office to be in Star Trek Discovery in the way that she was featured because it it seems to be a way to push her. Push agendas. Push an agenda and yeah. possibly help her get into office. But the way I view that is, A, we're dealing with a single state in Georgia. And unless they can prove that 99% of Star Trek fans live in Georgia and they actually have an ability to vote and push her into office, then there isn't an argument to be made. Because mm-hmm. guess what? People in California could love her to death. People in Seattle could love her to death. Love her to death. People in Arizona can love her to death. But guess what? It doesn't mean anything because they can do nothing to put her in office. And not put her in office. And now, if she was running for president, then I'd say that different. might be a little problematic there. And I'll even I'll even take it another step. Is the only issue that I had initially when I saw her, when I saw her, this is what dawned in my head: was throwing our political figures in TV shows like this to make one-off appearances. To me, just as tacky because you mean to tell me that you can't find a established actor to do it? Get an established actor. Why not get an established actor? And I, I kept thinking to myself, the only reason why they got the why they got Stacey Abrams was because they wanted to make a political statement. Then I read the behind the scenes of it, as I said. You know, the I keep forgetting Colbert, the actor who plays Colbert. Was deep was very close friends with her. Reached out, said, "Hey, do you want to do something for, for for us for fun?" Okay, that's different, because then that then that part of me that says, "Oh, they're doing it for an agenda," goes away because essentially, you know, she's doing it for a friend. Yeah, I listen. <laughs> I get that, but let me just make it clear: I don't care that she's in it, but yeah. I do understand where some of the naysayers are coming in because. It does, it is, you cannot say it's not a political move. Yeah. And even though this political move, you know what? A political statement, a political statement. There we go. Yes, the political statement will probably have no real impact on her political career. It won't. And in the grand scheme of things, this, this just won't. So that's why ultimately it just doesn't bother me. Yeah. And also, look at the things that she, again, not always wanted to get political, but look at the things she's, she stands for, okay? Mm-hmm. How can you get mad at someone who believes <laughs> in healthcare? Her top priority is Medicaid expansion. Yep. Okay. Her other agenda is education, increasing spending on public public education. She opposes private school vouchers, instead advocating improvements to the public education system, which we all know we need. She supports smaller class sizes, which I do as well. More school counselors, which I do as well. Protected pensions. Who the fuck doesn't want that? (laughs) Better pay for teachers. Are you fucking kidding me? Of course. 
and expanded early childhood education. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Criminal justice reform. I think we all know the criminal justice system currently is, is fucked. Yeah. Okay. She also is pro-Israel and, and rejects the demonization and delegitimization of Israel. She doesn't condone the boycotts. And in fact, some of the boycotts she has called anti-Semitic. Yep. Which is also aligned with Republicans. That's yeah. almost a crossing the aisle idea there. And that's why so it's why so... Why do you hate this woman? It, like, exactly. Why are you upset? She stands for some pretty fucking cool shit. And it's like, this goes... And, I, and you're right. We don't want to turn this into a political show. And listen, number one, let me just say this. And I usually don't talk politics, but yeah. I, I am not a card-carrying Democrat. I'm not. I'm an independent. So I'm not even advocating for her at all. In fact, she kind of, you know what? I'm not going to get into that because then it will it, turn into political. I don't want to get political, but, but that, I want people thing. to understand that I don't necessarily support her politically, but how can you get mad at someone who stands for so many great things? Because Mike, at the end of the day, mass audience just want to th see things black and white, red and blue. And all they see is the debacle that's currently going on in Georgia they don't have, most people don't read all the facts. They see the headlines. It's very highly polarized. It's, it's Republicans versus Democrats, which is what the media does. They always, they always sensationalize the you versus them type thing. That's why part of the reason why we're in the problems we are in today, because the media has gone unchecked for so many years that they create a lot of these problems and with see, their reporting methods. And see, this is why I am not, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not. I don't hold my feelings back when I tell people I see humanity as lesser intelligent <laughs> because we do crazy things. Yeah. So that's all I really wanted to say about it. I feel like it's a little out of character for our show to go down this route, but because it was a part of the episode and it was you have highly to talk controversial. About it. it would feel weird and odd for us just to breeze over it and not acknowledge it. Yeah. And also basically it, it it's it it is something that all the Star Trek fans are talking and it's something that we have to I feel that we have to tell people is like, "Hey, chill out. It's okay. No one that's not the end of the world. This she just was here as and yes, she's a political figure. She's just another person. But she's just another person. <laughs> if you feel like she's an insult or that they're insulting you by having her, what Something's about what about, about Sonequa Martin-Green? What about all the other actors exactly. that are also of the same mindset as Stacey Abrams? Are they an insult to you? Yeah. I, I just feel like people need to chill out and relax and enjoy the show. Yeah. Now she was running for president. Then uh, let's revisit this. You could revisit that because it's it, it is kind of like a squeaky, you know. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> and also, just listen. I haven't, nor ever will, celebrate a politician in any way that many do. I find it very hard to understand how people even worship politicians. There have been very few politicians in our entire history, when you really think about it who are even worthy of worship and or admiration. So as a general rule of thumb for me, I don't view politicians as anything but simply politicians. Yes. So is this Stacey Abrams thing a 
blatant political message or endorsement by the producers of the series? Absolutely. But who really cares? Who really in the cares? Big, in the big picture of things, she's served, as I said, as a representative for a single state in the United States. Trek is an international phenomenon, and it just doesn't matter politically in the grand scheme of things, in the ways of political endorsement. It just doesn't matter, and I don't view it as an ethical issue because she's a small-time political figure in the grand, big picture of things. Okay, Dave, let's move to our final thoughts. Let's start with your RMD score and take your time with final thoughts. I want to hear everything. Everything. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. To start things off, let's start off with the score. As a finale, I'm giving this episode a 89. It's probably one of the highest rated <laughs> besides season two. It's probably the second highest that I've rated the finale because it academically and technically it is very sound. It's tight. If you look at the script work behind this episode, it is a very tight ship that Michelle paradise is running. And I think she should be applauded for the season that she turned out for. Honestly, this is the first time she's ever helmed it completely by herself. I'm going to propose to her. That's going to be her ultimate reward for this season. (laughs) You're just going to show up. Hi. I'm like, hi, will you marry me? Cool. Overall, I, I really did enjoy the episode. I know that there's a lot of naysayers out there right now that just want to hate on discovery because honestly, after this episode, I feel that the reason why discovery gets a lot of criticism is because it's not their cup of tea. And that's what I noticed. People want to explain why they hate Discovery when they simply could say, hey, it doesn't fit your cup of tea, apparently. Because everyone constantly complains, well, they should do this and do this and do this. You're not the writer. You're not the writer. This isn't your story. This is Michelle Paradise's story. So you have to critically look at the season honestly and say, is it a terrible season? No. If you look at it technically, it's actually very technically sound. And the the narrative that she chose for this is Burnham's ascension to the captain seat so that we can actually fully have a captain in a Star Trek series that we should have and establish what type of captain Burnham is. That's the thing. Quick, she, quick question, Dave. Do you think at the end of the day... And where we are today with Star Trek Discovery, do you think it was a mistake to go the lieutenant route with a lead? I think so. Or do you think there might have been, it might have worked out differently if it maybe it was executed? People might say, well, people might say, oh, they were playing for the long game by starting Burnham as lieutenant. But honestly, if you look at season four, if you took season two and season four together, you could basically say that that is pretty much season one and season two. Because if you look at season one and season three, eh, you don't really need them. Season one through four, it basically is like chapter one. Yeah. If you combine them all. If you chapter combine them all. one of Discovery Story, yeah. Yeah, because like you st- they, they, sh- they tried to do the long game with Burnham's character growth instead you could have actually squunched it down to two seasons and you definitely get this get that feeling you say squanch squanched 
I, I say squanched. Isn't that like <laughs> from Brick and Morty? I squanched <laughs> a lot. I squanched it a lot. <laughs> but, and a lot of the narratives throughout the entire season, now the season in general, do we want to give our grades for the seasons? No, just give me what you, overall what you thought about the finale. The finale? Yeah. The finale itself I thought was a hundred times better than season three. And as I, I agree to you, I agree. Just the fan in me loves season two's ending more, but that's because you had so many nostalgic buttons getting hit. And it's also, like I said, it has to do with that idea of continuance and that idea of continuance. Right. Because like, if you think about it, the way season two ended was the classic to be continued. They jumped into the future and suddenly we just cut the credits and it was kind of like the to be continued moment. And in, season in season four the problem was you have that cutoff all right everything is solved there's nothing that there's no problems in burnham's burnham's future that can't be introduced in next season and it, and i for me that's just a miss because you don't leave that tantalizing hook for the audience for next season and it feels like you took it very safely you could have taken a little risk here and there, but that's the, that's the tough part. And I know a lot of people are like uh, look, uh, listening to us right now saying, well, David, you were complaining about season three. They took too many risks. And then here you're saying you're, they took it too safe. And I'm going, yeah, they, 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 they needed to blend it together. Take the smart, take a little risk, but to make smart decisions. So 89 all around. So, yes, this season is definitely, academically speaking, is the best season of Discovery to date. It is. Just solely in the way of writing. I do not feel like this show deserves even a little bit of the scorn and ire that it gets on social media. It's a shame, and it makes me a little sad as a Star Trek fan that so many Star Trek fans just hate on this show because it's different than something that we've been given before, and it is uh, skewed. I don't want to say skewed, but it, it, a lot of the stories are definitely told through a very overt liberal lens, and I feel like that also rubs some people the wrong way. the wrong way who are unable to just look past that and and look at the show for what it is. But yeah, I want to say this finale was a 90% for me. It was an 87 when I first watched it. And then waiting a week, watching it again, it went up because mm -hmm. my own expectations had subsided. That's what happened a to bit. me. Yeah. Because I feel like how they ended it was just fine. In fact, it was very tidy. Everything came to an end. My only problem with it is more of a subjective thing. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, I really would like to have that continuance that, you know, look at D space nine and the dominion threat that was over, that was always there. And I felt like that helped keeping the show consistent. It helped with the continuity, not just in the way of narrative, but also emotionally speaking for our characters generated this idea of continuance that fueled the desire to see season after season discovery always closed things out. Well, I don't want to say always, but the way they did this season, it just felt as a star Trek fan, 
it felt like they squandered such an amazing idea, like crossing the the barrier yeah. and coming face to face with a species we've never seen before. So hopefully next season they take a little more risk and they give us that threat, that definitive threat that we can point to. You know, when you when you point to TNG, you think the Borg. When you point to D Space Nine, you think of the Dominion. When you point to Enterprise, you think of the Zindi and possibly the uh, cons people. I forgot what we call them now. Um, I forgot what they were called. Shoot. The genetically modified humans. Like you, you think of those things with Voyager. You think of the Borg and the intimacy of the crew, of the crew, and, the family, the odyssey, the journey of the odyssey. Yes. And the dissection of the, the human condition via seven of nine as well as the doctor. Yes. It's just fantastic. With this, I don't feel like we can point to it yet and say, well, what is going to define discovery? And we don't have that yet. We don't really have that element. And I'm hoping we can get something like that soon. Sure, you can say as of right now, the defining element of discovery is Burnham's growth as an individual, as a person. As a person. And yeah. that's definitely a good story when you watch seasons one through four back to back. But is it enough to be remembered in the history of Star Trek mm-hmm. favorably? So I will leave everyone with that thought. If you want to send us some messages, whether you agree or disagree, you can find us on Facebook, Star Trek from the Holodeck. Just search that up. Also, Twitter from the Holodeck. What is our Twitter account, Dave? <laughs> I believe it's from the Holodeck. Yeah, I always tweet from it, but it, it kind of sucks for us, so I don't really spend a lot of time. <laughs> because, unfortunately, here. Twitter is like the haven for people to hate on people. <laughs> yeah, so Twitter is at from the Holodeck. So if yes. you want to hit us up, give us some messages, tell us how you feel about the overall episode, even your thoughts on the Stacey Abrams inclusion. I would love to hear what some of our listeners think about it. Um, even if it's completely different than our opinion, I welcome different thoughts on things. I enjoy listening to other people's opinions. So thank you everyone for sticking with us through the fourth season of Star Trek Discovery. We will be back without a doubt for Star Trek Discovery season five, unless of course we lose so much money and we have to cancel and close down the entire network, Dave, or if I sexually harass the host and you guys cancel me (laughs) and then, you know, a cry of a child. Yes. So thank you everyone for listening. Thank you, David. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain. It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.